Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 90. I cannot believe we've gotten to 90. We're only a few weeks away or a month away from 100 episodes. The behind-the-scenes over-under I set for myself was 21 and a half. We are well beyond that. we got a lot to go over, though. Packers and Patriots preseason game number two ended on a sour note, obviously, with the Isaiah Bolden injury for the Patriots. Cut the game short with about 10 minutes left. Made total sense to end it there, though. We will talk about some highlights, including Jordan Love again, including... Anders Carlson. He had a nice night. 3-of-3 three three on kicks, including a 52-yarder. We'll break all of that down as we get set for the final preseason game this coming Saturday at noon at Lambeau Field. The Brewers. This is why. This is the just get in. This is the prime example of just get in because you never know when you're going to get hot. After getting swept by the first-place Dodgers, they go to Texas, the offense erupts, and they sweep the first-place Rangers. We will break all that down as well. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's high! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin record breaking run! Morgan, a smash up the middle, base hit the center! Here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win! Here's the snap. He looks, he throws, it's and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in. Backed away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul. What a pinnacle foul, throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there. And they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Hey, thanks for checking in with this Monday's episode. If you can, if you listen and you have not done so, please, if you can find it in your heart, just give us a rating. As I've said before, I don't care what the rating is. It all helps the algorithm. It all helps the aggregation. If you just give it a rating, it gets a little attention. If you can do that and write a review, if you really want to help out, I wouldn't do that. That would be what I would consider a waste of time. But if you could, I would appreciate it. It is fascinating. We've been doing this. We're coming up on the year anniversary of doing this podcast. I'll say for somebody that has worked in radio, and I've been doing radio, commercial radio, actual real-world radio, whatever that is, for 15 years or 16 or 17 years, I've been doing high school radio going back to WSHS at Sheboygan North High, Sports Beat, and in college in Stevens Point at the student station there at 90 FM. Then I got the job in this building in 2006, right after I got done with an internship with the Wausau at the time, now Wisconsin Woodchucks. There was, it was Wisconsin when I was there, now they're Wausau, the Woodchucks in the Northwoods League. Did an internship there and came back and worked in this building part-time, eventually went full-time. If you don't know how ratings work in radio, it's it's a debacle, if we're totally honest, <laughs> how the ratings work in radio. You know those rating systems are flawed. Call for Burgundy. You know those rating systems are flawed. They don't take into account houses that have uh, more than two television sets and other other things of that nature. So there's still, if unless you're a PPM market, which is, this is a little inside baseball. If you want to fast forward, we'll talk about the Packers in about two minutes. <laughs> Otherwise, if you want to learn about radio... 
There are now in the bigger markets in America, the Chicago's, the Milwaukee's, the Nashville's, L.A., whatever. They're PPM markets where they actually monitor exactly what you're listening to on your car radio or whatever radio it's hooked up to. And they know exactly what you're listening to and how long you're listening to. And that's how they put together ratings. That actually makes sense. That's been going on in bigger markets for about a decade. For smaller markets like Sheboygan and even still Green Bay, Appleton, the Fox Valley, places like that. It's still diaries. Arbitron is still the go-to, and they mail out random diaries, like blue book essays, that they are counting on the people that get them, filling them out accurately and diligently, and if you do that, you get to keep all, you get it either way, I guess. They put two single dollar bills in the envelope with your diary. You get two dollars, regardless of whether you fill it out or not. That's the incentive in the year of our Lord 2023 in this economy, $2 to fill out a ratings book. We've got to find a different way. There has to be a different way than relying on giving complete strangers $2 to judge whether or not we've done a good job at our station, whether the ratings are good or bad. There's got to be a better way. There simply has to be a better way, or at least up the amount of money, up the incentive, $2. And then people just keep track. I believe Thursday is diary day where you just write down what you listen to every Thursday. And they send them back to Arbitron and Arbitron puts it all together in some formula that no one's even heard of. And they come out with all of the different ratings for all the different demographics. That's how ratings are formed. It's never super accurate. There are certain things that you can look at and it lets you know whether you're doing a good job or not. When you read them, though, I remember a few years ago we read, we actually got some of the old journals from Arbitron so that we could read them and figure out maybe ways that we could do things better on our end. And some of the comments are so, so funny. I remember there's one comment that said, I listened to Joe on B93. That's me. I'm John. I listened to Joe on B93 when I'm taking my morning dump. Literally, that was a that was a real comment in an Arbitron diary. I thought, ah, oh. <laughs> that's heartwarming. That's a sacred time, morning dump time. And the fact that you chose to stream our station and spend it with me, that means a lot. That's the world I'm used to living in. Just very random, kind of a little patchwork guesswork as to what the ratings actually are. And then it spits out numbers that have no intrinsic value. What's interesting in the podcast world is you actually do see the accurate concrete numbers. If you download it on your phone, if you're on your tablet, on your computer, we know exactly where you are. Maybe we don't know your age and things like that, but we know how long you listen to the podcast. We know if you fast-forwarded through this segment to get to the Packer Talk. You know exactly what's happening on a podcast episode. It's interesting for me to actually have that specific information. And we do see an uptick. We had a little summer lull there, which is expected. I think the content was a summer lull, so it's not shocking that the listenership would be. As soon as Packer football got cranked up again, though, I think whatever podcast we had, the preseason game one recap last Monday, it would have been, you see, just an uptick. People just love that Packer talk. But it's been fascinating after just working in regular radio and dealing with diary ratings to actually see concrete, accurate numbers, where people fast-forwarded, how long they listened to it, did they download it, what did they use to listen to it, Spotify, iTunes, did they just stream it on the website? Yeah, it's been interesting to watch. But we really appreciate you checking in. All right, Packers and Patriots preseason game number two is in the books. Ended in a tough moment. We had Patriot cornerback Isaiah Bolden go down after a collision with a teammate. Listen, after watching Monday Night Football last year with the whole DeMar Hamlin thing, it's always scary and always has been my entire football viewing life. When you see a player go down and they're motionless and other players are taking a knee and the emotions are overrunning and the stretcher comes out, it's never good. 
I think, though, even coming off of last year with how scary the DeMar Hamlin situation was and how much more you're seeing that crop up, those kinds of injuries, those kinds of things happening, it gets even scarier. He had movement in his extremities, apparently. I don't know that we knew that as the viewing audience until well after the fact on Twitter as reports started to come in that he did have feeling in his extremities and it looked like he was going to be okay. In that moment, though, it made sense. Ten minutes left in the game, 21-17. Packers were driving, but it's preseason. I mean, who really cares? Nobody, no player, I don't think, on either side would have been able to focus on the finish of that game given what had happened. I will admit this, and I don't feel good about it. I don't feel good about it, everybody. If you want me to say I don't feel good about it, I don't. It did cross my mind, if you had money on a preseason game, who puts money on a preseason game? I was at dinner with my wife when we were in Chicago before the White Sox-Brewer game. We were at a bar around White Sox Stadium, and they had on TV some ESPN NFL network, and they were talking about gambling lines in preseason games, gambling lines for preseason week number one. And she said, who who cares about the lines and the over-unders on preseason games? I said, yeah, yeah, you'd have to be a real degenerate. A real low life to care, to care about the lines in preseason games. What a sad, sad person that would mean. Maybe that person means well. Maybe they've got a little good, a bit of dry wit to them. Maybe they, you know, try to make the best out of what they've got. Maybe they've they've got that. But also, what an idiot! What a what a degenerate! It did cross my mind though when that happened, the way that game ended. I did not have any money on that game, but it did, as a degenerate, it crosses your mind. Well, what do they do then? If you did bet on it, on the Packers minus three, and it's 21-17, and they're driving, or the over-under on total points, I don't even know what it was. It's all a wash, so it's all a refund. It's all a get your money back, and it's as if nothing happened. That was the appropriate call, though, to to end the game in that moment, given the circumstances of what was going on in the field, and the, I'm sure the attitudes of the players that watched that happen, watched him get carted off, didn't know what was going on. No reason to continue. Let's talk about positives. Jordan Love. Is Jordan Love going to be good? I've been very encouraged by the first two preseason starts. He had a rough opening two series. Ended the game, though, 5 of 8, 84 yards and a touchdown. He had the great pass that was reviewed to Romeo Dobbs. The touchdown pass to Jaden Reed was a dot. He got it out quickly. It was a tough pass in tight quarters, put it on the money. Reed got it, took it to the end zone for a touchdown. Jordan Love now in his two preseason games is completing 68% of his passes, has two touchdowns, no picks, and a quarterback rating of 122. Listen, we're going to preface everything we say, and I should have started this. I guess this is post but I understand it's preseason. We get it. I've been watching football my entire life. I'm almost 40 years old. A lot of you out there are in your 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever. We all know. Everything I say now that I'm excited about coming out of Saturday, don't you don't need to tell me, but it's preseason, John. But who cares? It's preseason. Who are they playing against? It's just preseason. No pressure. Listen, I know. I get it. I understand that. But that's all we have. All we have of Jordan Love is the Kansas City game two years ago when Rodgers had COVID where he was bleh. The Detroit game that year, the regular season finale, where he showed some signs, but overall was blah. And then we have the Philly game, second half last year, where he looked pretty good. Not saying that that game was on the level of the Aaron Rodgers 2007 appearance in Dallas where that was the first time in the Rodgers tenure where we thought, ooh, he might be good. I mean, this guy might be actually good. I don't know if we felt that positive after the appearance against the Eagles last year. It was encouraging, and now these two preseason games, he's looked very solid. He's done exactly what we want him to do. If you want to call him a game manager, fine. He gets the ball out quickly. He does get through his reads. As soon as he finds an open guy, he gets it out quick. He's just running the offense. We've said all offseason long, one of the most fascinating parts of this season 
is going to be watching the Matt LaFleur offense. I don't think it's a secret for Matt LaFleur, even though he might not admit to it. I don't think it's a secret that the Matt LaFleur offense had to be tailored to a Hall of Fame quarterback, which it should. I'm not blaming Aaron Rodgers for that at all. When you've got a Hall of Fame quarterback, a -a once-in-a-lifetime quarterback, and you're coming in as a new head coach at the tail end of that quarterback's Hall of Fame career, Matt LaFleur should have tailored it and catered it a bit to Aaron Rodgers' strengths and taken Aaron Rodgers' input as a Hall of Fame quarterback and four-time, not when he got here, two-time MVP, but ultimately four-time MVP and Super Bowl champion and Super Bowl MVP. When you've got that caliber of talent, you should take their input and find ways to enhance their strengths within the structure of your offense. I don't know, though, throughout the tenure of Rodgers with LaFleur, that every play out there, every play LaFleur was calling, was Rodgers audibling? Was he going hot route? Was he RPOing? Was he getting out of the RPO so he could pass to Devontae Adams over and over again, which ended up being not a terrible strategy for a lot of their time together? You just don't know exactly what we saw out of Rodgers and out of that LaFleur offense as those two were comboed up. Now that you have a new quarterback who doesn't have the resume that Rodgers has, you assume he is going to be running this thing to script. Uh, They'll give him a little bit of leeway. He has been in the system now for three years. They'll give him a little bit of leash, but for the most part, you would think he is going to be getting the play call from Matt LaFleur, running that play, getting the ball out quickly, getting the offense moving down the field. That's what we've seen from Jordan Love. There's not a thing we've seen from Jordan Love in the first two preseason games where he is the guy, and we saw him plenty in the preseason the past couple of years. This preseason, a little bit different, though, where he is the man going into the year. I don't think we've seen anything that's concerning. Not to say that those moments aren't going to happen during the regular season. There hasn't been a moment, though, where I thought, ooh, this might not be the guy. (laughs) This might not be. This may not go well. This may be a three-win year, a four-win year. I haven't seen any of that, if anything, I'm using every bit of discipline I have after watching Jordan Love in these first two games to not put money on the season win total at 7.5. I've already got that Badger question mark out there on the Badger season win total at 8.5. I'm obviously going to go over. I'm hoping that gets to 9. Now, I'm starting to think very long and hard about whether or not to put a nice chunk of change on the Packers season win total of over 7.5 because of the way Jordan Love has looked. He's bounced back. He's looked tough in the pocket. He's going through his reads, stepping into his throws. The offense is moving with him. There's a lot to love about love. Waka waka. And then Sean Clifford took over. He was pretty good, too. 13 of 19, 137 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. There are still some crazy people out there. I forget what blue check mark I saw on Saturday that was talking about how Sean Clifford is ultimately going to be the guy. Look, if they have two guys, I'm excited about that. If they have a guy and then the backup now, the fifth-round draft pick, is going to be a guy in the league, too, that's excellent. That's great news. I don't think there's any chance we see Sean Clifford ascend to that status in the next year or two. Now, if things are uneven or poor for Jordan Love during the regular season this year, and then it starts that way next year, then maybe if you see Sean Clifford lighting it up in the preseason and lighting up in practice, perhaps then in the middle of next year or through the first quarter of next season, then you start to maybe think about, well, could this, could Clifford be the guy? That's not the case. That's not where we're at right now. It was one guy on Twitter on Saturday, and that got a lot of commentary as well. And it could just be tossing chum into the water. That's a lot of what Twitter is, just tossing out a take that you know is bad, but you also know it will generate impressions, and you know it will generate conversation, and it will generate comments, and it will get shared, that kind of stuff. There was one person, though, talking about that coming out of Saturday. Jordan Love has looked really good, really encouraging. Emmanuel Wilson had another good game. I don't know how he fits into this roster, 15 carries, 63 yards. It's going to be intriguing to see if Malik Heath edges out Samari Toure for this roster. Malik Heath is an undrafted rookie. He has been very good in practice. He was excellent in preseason game number one, and he was 
again, very productive in game number two in the preseason, five catches, 75 yards. When you start to look at how many wide receivers they're going to keep, are they going to keep six? Are they going to keep five? Could they keep seven? I know that was a conversation for many, many years too. Could they keep seven wide receivers? It feels to me like Samari Toure, he's probably going to make the team. If Malik Heath makes this team, though, Malik Heath has done enough where you would be worried if you didn't keep him on the roster and you tried to get him to the practice squad. He's done enough now and put decent enough stats up and opened up enough eyes where if you subject him to waivers or you cut him, it feels really unlikely you'd be able to get him back and put him on the practice squad. But when you look at what spot would he take, Malik Keith, what spot would he grab? It's weird to see him wearing that Randall Cobb number 18. What spot would he take? It's looking more and more to me like that might be a Samari Touré spot. When we were in the offseason, the thinking for the wide receivers this year was the trio of young ascending wide receivers, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, obviously 1A, 1B. And then the thought was Samari Touré would be your number three or number four. He played a little bit last year, had the really good catch in Buffalo, was it? Where he caught that in the back of the end zone, kept the play alive for Aaron Rodgers. That was his only catch of the year. The thought was, though, that he would join them as a young up-and-coming trio. He would fit in as that number three, number four, that slot wide receiver. Well, the more Malik Heath has played and how good he's played, and when you look at the numbers game, you almost wonder if he makes the roster, is that at the expense of the seventh-round pick Samari Torrey from last year? Heath was good again, though. Dobbs had a great night, two catches, 52 yards, two tough catches, the one we talked about. Jaden Reed had the touchdown reception. Then you look defensively. Kingsley Engabare. I'm not sure I'm saying that name right. Engabare or Engabare? He was a late-round pick in 2022, had three sacks his rookie year. Remember, he came on, though, at the end of last year. He seemed to get more and more confident and stronger as the year went on in 2022, where he was opening some eyes at the end of last year. That has continued in training camp, continued in practice, and was highlighted on Saturday. Two sacks, three tackles. The other guy people were excited about, Carl Brooks, just looked disruptive. Carl Brooks, a sixth-round pick in this year's draft. Like we talked about on Friday's podcast, some of these late-round picks from 2022 and 2023 have looked very good in this opening two preseason game stretch. Carl Brooks, another guy making a name for himself coming out of Saturday. A lot to like on the defensive side of the football. I know it's preseason. They have to do it in the regular season. Certain guys, though, especially young guys like Engabare and Brooks, encouraging things coming out of Saturday and the kicking game. Like we mentioned off the top, Anders Carlson, one of one, hit a 52-yarder, hit both of his extra points, a perfect day on Saturday. Is that solidifying him like we discussed on Friday? The more I hear about, and I know we've talked about, well, they haven't really put too much distance between themselves and Mason Crosby. That's true, though it does not sound like from anybody covering the team that's close to the Packer hierarchy, it doesn't sound like anybody gets the feeling that the Packers are eager to call Mason Crosby to make that move, even for how rough it's been for Carlson at times. This is the first real feather in Carlson's cap where you come out of a game and think, okay, I can see it, 52-yarder, no problem there, 2 of 2 on extra points. Have a good week this week. Have one good final preseason tune-up on Saturday, and you start to feel good about Anders Carlson as well. It's a 21-17 loss. It had the odd ending. You're 1-1. One one. The records don't matter. One last preseason game for the Packers. It does sound like Jordan Love's going to play. The thought might be that he would sit out the final preseason game. It sounds like he'll at least play a series or two. Hey, guess who's going to be playing in the Jets preseason finale? 
Another thing that he never did in Green Bay, at least for the last however many years, playing in a preseason game. It sounds like Aaron Rodgers is going to play in the final Jets preseason game. I would imagine for exactly one series. But that'll be one more series in preseason than he's played for, what, the last five years, six years? It does sound like Jordan Love will be on the field. This is an odd start time. I cannot remember a noon kickoff for a preseason game. It'll be a noon kickoff on Saturday at Lambeau Field. And tickets as low as $17 right now on StubHub if you want to spend your Saturday afternoon there. Last one of the year, though, coming up this Saturday at Lambeau. All right, let's talk about the Brewers. What a turnaround. Who saw that coming? This is why baseball, what's the word we use on Friday, is a quirky sport. It's a random sport. Over the duration of 162-game schedule, teams are what they are. The good teams are good. The bad teams are bad. The average teams are average. Within that, though, there are little runs of bad teams being really good, good teams being really bad. This was such an odd road trip. I cannot remember a nine-game road trip that went like this in my lifetime. You start with a sweep of a bad team. They have struggled against bad teams. They start with a sweep against the White Sox, had to earn every one of those wins, up to and including Sunday, where late in that game they had to bring Devin Williams on. We saw that a few times in Texas, too. Then they go to L.A. We always view that as a barometer because it feels like the Brewers are playing tight games against the Dodgers all the time, not winning those games. You think back to the 2018 NLCS. You think back to the wild card round in 2020 in L.A. They don't play well at Dodgers Stadium, but for that reason – A lot of Brewers fans look at how they play against the Dodgers as a measuring stick as to how excited should I be. I know they're in first place. I know they could hang around the wild card race. How excited, though, should I be? And then they took the results of that Dodger series and said, well, this is proof that this team can win a division. They can win a wild card. They can't beat the top-tier teams, though. Coming out of that Dodgers series, 2-10 and against the Braves and Dodgers combined. The vibes were low, and they were for me, too. Very low coming out of that sweep in L.A. where Burns lost the third and final game on Thursday, once nothing, and they weren't really competitive Tuesday or Wednesday. Then you go to Texas. Texas has the fifth best odds to win the World Series. Braves have the best odds to win the World Series. I think the Astros are still number two, even though they're in second place in their division. The Dodgers, third best odds to win the World Series, and the Rangers have the fifth best odds to win the World Series. Given what we saw against the Dodgers Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, was there any reason to think that they would look good against a first place 23 games over 500 Rangers team, especially having to face Max Scherzer in the final game of that series? No. Then they come out on Friday, and they're popping. They're hitting line drives. They're taking walks. They score nine runs. They were down after an early lead. It looked like it was going to be another one of those games where they put three runs on the board early and then do nothing the rest of the game. They got down 4-3. to Carlos Santana steps up and hammers a three-run bomb to give them back the lead. Things got way too tight late on Friday. It was a 9-4 to lead. I'm sad about Andrew Chafin not being good. <laughs> Andrew Chafin has been good in his career. When they traded for him and we saw what he looked like with the dad bod and the Fu Manchu and the flowing locks, the Kenny Powers, the Pete Vukovic look, the Mike Fetters look, we were all excited. He just seemed like, like we said, he was born to be a brewer. It's so sad that he has not been good. He comes into a 9-4 game, immediately starts walking people. That's never a good situation. The Texas offense is loaded. You give them a little bit of life, a little bit of a spark, and we saw what happened. Devin had to come in the game, and in a 9-8 game with two outs, Corey Seager, who probably is going to win the MVP in the American League, he hit one where off of his bat, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I think I said that out loud. You've got to be kidding me. I don't know if I used kidding. You've got to be kidding me. 
Salfrey look able to range over and makes that little leap at the warning track to get the final out for Friday's 98 win. Then Freddie Peralta on Saturday continues a stretch of this is the best we've seen out of Freddie. Had 11 strikeouts, five and a third, did not allow a run. The bullpen was superb on Saturday, and you get a 6-1 to win there. Carlos Santana goes yard again. Willie Adamas had a massive day. Willie had three hits on Friday, four for four on Saturday, with a home run his first in a long time. 6-1 to win there. You get the series win secure. You obviously want to get greedy on Sunday. With the pitching matchup of Adrian Hauser versus Max Scherzer, though, most of us entered Sunday thinking, well, you got the series win. <laughs> you got the series win. But they just worked Max Scherzer. He was at 100 pitches through four innings, lost his control. Brewers took a 2-0 lead. They were able to tack on. Yelly had an RBI double. He had a two-hit day. Tyrone Taylor staying red hot. He had a double and a triple on Sunday, and they end up getting the 6-2 win. Again, Devin Williams had to come on where you didn't want that to be the case. You wanted the mop-up bullpen to handle their business. Devin had to come on, got one out on a Yelich sliding catch to get his 30th save of the year. They sweep away the first-place Rangers and beat Max Scherzer on Sunday. How did the team that looked as bad as they did against the Dodgers, how do they conjure that up against one of the best teams in Major League Baseball? This is a perfect example of what we were talking about on Friday. Just get in. I don't know that sweeping the Rangers changes the gambling prospects for this Brewer team. I don't know that their odds to win the World Series go up because of a sweep against Texas. I don't think that if you get to a playoff series with the Dodgers or the Braves, that that changes the gambling outlook on who would be the favorite there. It is a perfect example, though, of what we were talking about. Just get in the playoffs because in baseball, you do not know when randomly – a team's weakness will become its strength for a week or two. They scored three runs and generated 10 hits in three games against the Dodgers. The next day, after a flight from L.A., by the way, that got them into Texas, I think at 5 or 6 in the morning on Friday, got about three or four hours sleep. I get it. They're millionaire athletes. I understand. That's a tough turnaround, though. The getaway day is typically an afternoon game, especially if you're going west coast to Texas. They get into Texas early in the morning on Friday after a really demoralizing series, and they come out hacking. They score 21 runs, 36 hits. Willie Adamas came to life. What a difference that makes. We just talked about a stat line Friday, Saturday. Not as good on Sunday. Had three strikeouts. Did get hit by a pitch, though, and that got him an RBI. What a difference it makes. If you're going to continue to force feed him into the middle of that lineup, what a difference it makes when he is hitting. Just one or two guys in the middle of that order, if they could just get a little more consistent, changes the whole complexion. They all start hitting, though, on Friday. They continue on Saturday. For the most part, continue on Sunday against an elite pitcher in Scherzer. 21 runs, 36 hits against a first-place team on the road a day or two after they couldn't do anything offensively. They did have a lot of hard-hit baseballs against L.A., that I will say. And I didn't watch a ton of the games because they were on so late. You read the recaps, though, and watch the highlights. They had very good contact against a lot of those L.A. pitchers Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Didn't see the result, though. The batting average on baseballs in play, not good. Maybe that's a part of why they were so good against Texas, one of those kind of series where, yeah, they scored three runs on ten hits, but they made good contact the entire series. And if they can just stick to that and not get frustrated, they could break out. Maybe this is a part of the breakout. Carlos Santana had four home runs on the trip, still batting sub-200 as a Brewer, Generating power, though, putting those, putting a bunch of home runs in the seats and in big moments, too, for Carlos Santana. Tyrone Taylor, whose average was 155, he's got that up to 214 after an excellent road trip, really the whole way through. He's earning himself every day time. 
This, though, again, is what you look for in an October matchup. If they can win the division, if they can win the wild card, you just get in, and you don't know. They could go to L.A. in the NLDS, and they could do what they did to Texas and just get hot for a couple of days. As we talked about on Friday's podcast, the history of Major League Baseball is littered with teams that do just that. Teams where your offense is bad, all of a sudden it's good for a week, and that's enough to win you a series, and that's enough to get you to the NLCS. And you get those positive vibes going and the good momentum going. It can build on itself, and you never know what you can do. This series was an example of exactly what we were talking about on Friday. Get yourself in. And then hopefully what we saw in Texas is something we can see more consistently. That would be great if they could just be this team now for the remainder of the year. I'm not sure I'm counting on that. Just get in, and then when we get to a matchup in the first round, or you win that first round series, then you head to L.A. for a best of five. This is the kind of series, the one they just had in Texas, that you look back at and say they are capable of this over a three-game stretch or a four- or five-game stretch. Day off today, they actually add to the NL Central lead. Remember we talked about on Friday, given what the schedules looked like, where the Cubs were hosting the Royals at Wrigley 4-3. Brewers going to first place Texas after a horrible series against L.A. We thought the potential was there for this podcast, episode 90, that the division standings could be tied, or you could even see the Cubs shift in front for a little bit, given the strength of schedule. Royals beat the Cubs on Friday. Cubs do win the series. They win Saturday, Sunday. As I said on Friday, I'd be happy with one Royals win. That's what I got. Because the Brewers got the sweep, they actually add a game to the NL Central lead. How about it? And a 6-3 and three road trip, which any one of us would have taken 100 times out of 100 before the road trip began. You just never would have seen it playing out like this, where you sweep, get swept, then sweep. Three-game lead on the Cubs, four-game lead on the Reds, who lost on Sunday as well in the NL Central as we get set for a day off today. Now you've got two coming up against the Twins. On Tuesday, Wednesday, boy, Wednesday at AmFam Field is going to be a boiler. <laughs> Not sure where you're listening to this. We have listeners really all over the country now, primarily in southeastern Wisconsin, though. We are looking good today, Monday, good Tuesday, and then mid to upper 90s. Heat indices, indeci, over 100 on Wednesday and over 100 on Thursday. I believe they have off on Thursday. They have two off days this week, I'm pretty sure. They have an afternoon game, though, against the Twins on Wednesday. That is going to be a boiler. Luckily, no rain in the forecast. The roof will be open. The panels will be open. Hopefully, there will be some kind of wind getting in there. That's one, though, where you just sit and sweat. We've done many of those at AmFam Field and Miller Park over the years where you're just sitting, not moving, and you can feel the drips. The drips coming down, dripping off your back of your shirt, dripping under your hat, down by your beard. That's going to be one of those games, mid-90s on Wednesday. They renew that AL Central rivalry, though, Tuesday, Wednesday. The Cubs do play today. The Cubs have played two fewer games overall. That's one thing to kind of keep an eye on, too. They are where? Pittsburgh? I got a sneeze coming on here. Hold on. Got to fight it. No, they're in Detroit. They start a series in Detroit. That's the game to watch tonight with the Brewers off today. Cubs are in Detroit, 540 first pitch. They've got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in Detroit. Then they hit to Pittsburgh Thursday through Sunday. And then one week from today, I'm not sure what the standings will look like. One week from today will be the second to last Cubs Brewers series. It'll be the last one at Wrigley, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I do like the way the pitching is lining up. You've got Miley going next week, Monday, then Burns on Tuesday, Woodruff on Wednesday. Love the way that lines up. In a perfect world, maybe you get Freddie in there. You get Freddie, Corbin, Woodruff, but Miley Burns, Woodruff will take. Brewers have two against Minnesota, then three this coming weekend against San Diego Friday, Saturday, Sunday before that matchup with the Cubs, which is going to be critical. The Brewers have the series season series against the Reds. As we know, they were 10-3 and three against the Reds in 13 games. 
Right now, they have a four to lead, four to three season series lead against the Cubs. You'd obviously love to maintain that. And then you have the record or the tiebreaker there as well. That's why you have a four-game lead on the Reds, but it's really five because you have the season series lead and win there. If you can win the season series, if you win both, are you good then if you win both? If you win two out of three, they'd be six and four. No, you can't. You can't see. Well, they could sweep them. If they sweep them, if they sweep next Monday through Wednesday, I think that would give them the season series. Then you'd basically have an extra game there too. Uh, day off today, though, for the Brewers. They will get set for the Twins Tuesday night, then Wednesday afternoon. That'll do it for us here on your Monday. We'll get back after it on Friday. It will be the first of our countdown of my personal, in my lifetime, five favorite Packer-Bear matchups. We'll include some audio of the game, some touchdown passes, things like that. We'll do number five on Friday, then four Monday, three next week Friday, uh, I guess Labor Day is going to factor in there. We'll do a Tuesday podcast, Labor Day week. And then the Friday heading into the opening weekend matchup, we'll do our number one, my personal favorite Packer-Bear matchup. We'll also be talking on Friday about C.C. Sabathia's return to Milwaukee. You may have seen that. He is going to be throwing out the first pitch on Friday before the Padres game. I've got a busy weekend. I'd love to get there. I just want to see the reaction. I'm guessing it's going to be a major standing ovation. We'll play some CC Brewers clips on Friday as well, getting set for that, getting his set for his return to Milwaukee for a one-night only, a one-night stand Friday before that Padres game. Have a good work week. We'll chat with you then.